welcome back to the one-to-one podcast with your missionary priest, Father Dan Leary. I'm Kevin Wells, your host. Father Dan, welcome back to the show. Hey, God bless you. Great to be with you guys. Good morning, Kevin. God bless you. Morning, Father. Father, we are going to get into it today. Um, Two days from now, we have what what really resonates in my heart as as truly one of the um, the most special Sundays in the church, Good Shepherd Sunday. Father, um, in ways we're going to get into in this podcast, uh, it really strikes me uh, to the core of what this Sunday is. Uh, but just off the off the bat, Father, what does Good Shepherd Sunday sort of say to your heart? Well, Good Shepherd Sunday really was a Sunday in the in the church in Easter time that the gospel is always about the Good Shepherd laying down his life for his sheep, and I always use it in the twofold mission. First is the role of the priest and laying down his life, and then the role of parents, particularly fathers, and laying down their lives as as Good Shepherds. You know, we're not hirelings. And we don't run when the wolf comes. So right off the bat, I, I, uh, this podcast speaks to my heart because I spoke very strongly many, many times in the U.S. about the role of shepherds, particularly vocation to the priesthood. Thank you, Father. So the way I see this podcast unwinding is we're going to identify um, what I believe plagues us. We're going to talk about the characteristics of the good shepherd. And then maybe get into Father Al and what dads in the home, um, how they would want to be as the shepherd of the home. So so let's just break it wide open today, Father. Uh, we're going to take the straight jacket off. We're going to go at it. Um, Father, I, I wrote a book a few years ago called The Priests We Need to Save the Church. And really, if you could sort of crystallize everything, it was about what does the good shepherd do? And the first five chapters of the book unpacked one of some of the grave problems that what the shepherd has not done. And and I think uh, the book came out providentially in 2019, right in the aftermath of the McCarrick scandals. And and Father, I'm just going to say this. Um, I'll say hundreds of folks, lady, priests, even bishops, responded to to what, after the book was released and we talked about so much but some of it was after the great scandals of the church in 2018 were finally exposed you know the genie's out of the bottle um we'll just start with lady um there were i was told boy kevin there was no sort of sackcloth and ashes movement towards penitential healing like we have messed up would you forgive us uh, would you help us? We're gonna we're gonna take a year on of, of fasting. We're gonna we're gonna adore the Eucharist. We're gonna open up churches. Instead, it was sort of this reluctance to address it. And these years later, you know, uh, even in the aftermath of of COVID, with the shutdown of churches, the denial of the sacraments, more and more we're getting symposiums on racism, or or we're seeing uh, cardinals and bishops and priests getting shots, COVID shots, vaccine shots. We're seeing all these sort of this clouded things of 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 uh, from our from our clergy, and it's deeply confusing and disillusioning to intentional Catholics because we hunger for the Good Shepherd. We just want to see Jesus Christ. We want to see what a, a priest like Father Al, and 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 Father, I just want to ask you, um, 
this this disillusion that really I think it's safe to say that millions of Catholics have worldwide over the absence of the characteristics of the good shepherd willing to lay down his life through action, not just word, through action. Father, do you sense this as a missionary priest out of Mexico? Do you hear any of this? Well, going back to you, your book um, and to post uh, post the scandals, I just I want to be honest. I spoke to that. I spoke to the need for public penance. I spoke to the need for public adoration, uh, Kevin, because there was no answer. There was no solution other than that. Um, there was no sense of unity. There was in my parish, but I spoke and I listened to the pain and suffering of the people. So <clears throat> I can't answer the silence of other, of other priests and the failure really of priests and bishops. But I do not think that Father Al would have accepted the silence either. I think he would have spoken directly into the lie. I think he would have identified the lie. I think he would have brought the lie before the Eucharist and say, this is not truth. Um, I was questioned about, well, is this obedience for me to speak as I spoke? And I, I said, absolutely. Um, I spoke to the truth. I spoke with charity and I did not um, hide from the reality that uh, priests and bishops are broken. I identified it, but the failure of uh, pen penitential signs publicly demonstrated to the people was very evident. So do I see that particularly here in Mexico? Um, yeah, I think the faith of people in Mexico and worldwide is greatly suffering. There was a recent article that the faith of, of Catholics in Mexico is declining. Well, there's no secret there for various reasons. Other groups, sects are coming in. But also the reality is that people are becoming non-believers. And so the work that I'm doing is, is advocating to keep the children, these young people, focused and giving them an encounter with Christ, with a spiritual father, like Father Al, who's trying to follow the holiness of the saints that went before me. Yeah, thank you, Father. It's, um, it's, it's, this, it's this silence. I keep going on. A good shepherd is not silent. So this, this, we'll just go back one more time to the McCarrick, at the after effects of the McCarrick. It was, a, it was sort of this deadening silence, this invisible poisonous gas that just wanted to keep things down. And even today, it seems to be a silence from behind the ambo of the, this undertow of sin pushed into society or this new sort of enlightened, enlightened societal norms on marriage, on gender, it's just a silence, and it, it's it's deeply disturbing to those that just want to live in an ordered, sort of Ephesus-like, Nazareth-like, ours-like society where we just we, we we don't have to be holy rollers, pious, but we just want order. And 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 Father, you just identified it. Even in Mexico, some of the greatest European countries, it's it's disordered. And I keep going back in my heart to the lack of the good shepherd the shepherd willing to lay down his life to die. So, Father, I'll, I'll, I'll ask you there. So is it, is it this reluctance 
to offer one's life. And I'm talking bishops and priests to say, lady, what I'm getting into right now, prisoners, I'm going to preach right now. Buckle in because what I'm saying, it's indelicate, but I but I care for your souls. So I'm going to articulate something in, in, in today's homily that might be rough, but I love you. Is it this reluctance that's sort of this contraception of the tongue that has has the uh, laity, whether it's Catholic laity or Christians throughout the world, just sort of going their own direction? Well, Wells, I think it's more than that. You said something about order. What is order? Order is truth. Okay, so let's not put this idea that simply because there's an absence of noise, there's a, there's a peace within my heart, I can roll back to the rectory and in sort of this sense of, thank God nobody's mad at me, that's actually the sign of being dead, okay, as a priest. When you're seeking that popularity, and that's not the right word, but it's driven by this false sense of order, okay? Because that's the work of the devil. Let's be honest, okay? Yeah, I spoke to the truth. I spoke to it directly. I think there's an incredibly... There's an incredible lack of courage that emanates into the heart of the priest, many priests and bishops, because they're unwilling to take the fire, the heat, because the devil works. And folks, I have to speak the truth because some of you just have this false sense that the devil is non-existent. He exists. His primary mission is to take down the church. That's the mission. And so he attacks the spiritual father. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. That's exactly what's happening. Everybody's hiding and reading and digesting things through the internet or through television. They're consuming ugly, violent things that they think are just crippling the country or crippling the world. And they are. And in effect, what happens is the devil is using fear to prevent people from speaking. I have no idea why people support programs that are producing no fruit. I have no idea. I spoke to this. I spoke to the people on my in my parish and said, look, if I'm a loser and I'm not speaking the truth, don't put a dime in the basket, ever. Do not do that. So yeah, I think this is the reality. I mean, I haven't changed in what I left the United States and the diocese and to what I came here. But the courage I see of the religious sisters going out now into the communities now to recruit kids. They're not hiding. They don't stay in a hotel. They actually live with these families in the name of finding children that are amidst the poverty and brokenness and suffering. They're not waiting for the kids to come to Chalco or Guadalajara. They're going to them, encountering them, and they're going out in two by twos constantly to different parts of Mexico where COVID is crippling the parts of these air, these country and they're going into it. So I don't know what the answer is. I'm just telling you, that's what I see. I'm dying to go to Guadalajara. I'm dying to go to Jalisco or any place and just be with the people that are suffering and show them that a priest has gone into the pain. Why else? It's the whole point. So viewers, Father Dan just mentioned two towns. Those are two of the most, the, the deadliest towns, the most dangerous towns in Mexico. That's where the Father's sisters are going, Wells. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's that's where the sisters are going. That's where they're, they're going into the pit. 
And Father, you mentioned um, the, the shepherd, the, you know, the, the leaders. And I'd recently read a book called The Shepherd's Life. It was a bestseller in, in Europe, um, sold hundreds of thousands of copies. And I read the book and it was it was it was a remarkable uh, book about this this uh, Oxford, this Cambridge University graduate. Brilliant. But he decided to join the family uh, generational job of being a shepherd on a hillside. And he wrote this this memoir. It was brilliant. It was beautifully written. And um, I decided to write about it in a piece afterwards. And I just want to read a few a few lines of what I had written. And Father, I'd like you to respond to it. The author's name was James Rebanks. And for generations, his family had shepherded on the high English hillsides. So I say um, in this article, in Rebanks' unsentimental account of shepherding in the weather-miserable Lake District of Northern England, he described a fascinating shepherding technique called hefting. This is very important, hefting. For many hundreds of years, shepherds in the mountainous region of his homeland have permitted their sheep to roam free, unfenced, should his herdwick sheep have the instinct to do so, they could wander off to the farthest reaches of Scotland, many hundreds of miles away. But his sheep never do. They keep as if an invisible hand tethers them to their shepherd. The sheep instinctively trust James Rebanks as they trusted James's dad, Tom, and Tom's dad, William, for many generations before. Over the space of time, these Herdwick sheep have obliged a gravitational pull towards solidity and order. Staying, staying has become the flock's redoubtable instinctual heirloom. So, Father, these sheep, the rebanks understand if they take care of them properly, they don't need to stick a fence around them because these sheep instinctually say, this shepherd cares for me. They feed me. They, they shear me. They make sure I'm well, they, I'm well tended. When the worms get into me, they take the worms out. So they don't stick a fence up because the sheep want to be around the shepherd. They want to stay. So father, it just, it just rings in my heart that if, if the sheep, the lady saw the shepherd as someone that cared for them and willing to die for them, and to articulate the greatest truths of the Catholic faith, Father, as you did at St. Andrews, the Eucharist. Get your, get your butt into confession at least once a month. Stay around Mary. Pray a daily rosary. Offer your life up with small asceticisms, as Teresa Lasuta did. That the lady would say, you know what? This guy cares for my soul. He's saying some things that bother me. Maybe about the way I'm fathering my son or the way I'm treating my wife. But he cares for my soul. So the sheep the laity would stick close to you or to the bishop. Does this make sense, Father? Well, yeah, because then those sheep bring other people. But if the shepherd is not shepherding, Kevin, the sheep wander, number one. And number two, then the sheep lead the shepherd. And that's where it's broken, very candidly, of course. That's why, that's why the sisters are rooted, because Father Al was so clearly a shepherd, and he gave them their marching orders. And they know what to do and they know how to do it. And they've stayed rooted in their habit in their three hours of prayer and their obedience in the smallest thing. And that's the grace. They trusted their shepherd because he suffered for them and he suffered with them. 
Yeah, thanks, Father. That, well, that's it. So in the gospel, you know, again, one of the most beautiful gospels, John 10. You're going to read on Sunday, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The hired hand, who is not a shepherd and does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. The hired hand runs away because a hired hand does not care for the sheep. <laughs> Father, I don't want to put you on the spot and, and you don't need to. But our, our church is bleeding out. It's hemorrhaging her members, whether it's because of several years of, of problems or because of the shutdown of the churches post-COVID. But this happened prior to that. Um, you know, still in most dioceses, uh, you don't need to go to mass. Dispensation has been given a year over a year later. Kids are just dropping out left and right. What's the future of our church? I don't know what it is. You know, who knows? But again, it's the shepherd who says we will find a way post-COVID to somehow open up the sacraments full bore. No more dispensation across the land, across the world. Get back to mass because you will find your salvation in the Eucharist. You will hear the prophetic words from my from the pastor at this church. Get back to mass. Father, we're, we're, we're thirsting, we're hungering for this order from our bishops. Uh, Father, what, what is the way forward at this point a year later? What, what, how do we get back in as, as the Good Shepherd must? Well, I think you began the conversation with this comment. You said, what do, good sh what do shepherds do? I think that that's the biggest problem. I, do, I think it's twofold. Shepherds are supposed to be, in the context of the church as priests, men willing to die for their sheep. And that's not a romantic word, and it's not a romantic comment. But I think that that level of dying is really physically, and it's also spiritually and emotionally. And until shepherds really are willing to die, to put away their, their um, hobbies, and really give sacrificially that we will never embrace the good shepherd's identity, number one, because it's not about what the shepherd does because a shepherd that is not, is not able to do because all they are is acting. They're not living the identity. And so that's why Schwartz, Father uh, St. John Vianney, St. Damien of Molokai, they knew who they were. These were men willing to die for their sheep. And it wasn't romantic. It was a day in, day out struggle to try to embrace people in the confessional. Look, it's, it's not romantic when I hear confessions for a bunch of hours every day. There's nothing romantic about it. Sometimes it's hot, my back hurts. Kids, I can't always understand them <laughs> because of the language, because of the tears because of a mask. I can't, but I, I, that's the whole mission to, to, to die. Secondly, I think that the, the, the problem is that we have this sense that we want our shepherd to live. We don't want our shepherd to live. We don't need more vocations. We need vocations willing to die. And then God will raise up vocations. Father Al was really young when he died. He was 62, okay? I mean, that's a terrible idea to have the guy die at 62, but his work <clears throat> continued. If a priest is not willing to die, 
then candidly, there's no work to follow. So I think that that's the root of the problem is we don't know who we are. And secondly, people don't know what a priest is. We just have this idea that my priest is, has, is a great administrator or my priest is great. Why? I used to ask people that question, why? Is he making you a saint? Well, I don't know. I said, then he's not great. Like, that's the whole point of priesthood, to make people saints. That's the whole point. It's not to have a nicely decorated altar or have a reputation or you're really good at speaking. The bottom line is, am I making, am I making people saints? That's it, man. And anything short of that, and this is in line with the gospel. This is what the gospel says, the Bible says. This is not what um, the culture says or even the current culture in the church. So let's be honest, okay? If I'm not making the average person in my pew, and that's not a negative comment, if I'm not introducing them to Christ and giving them an opportunity to be, to be saints, to think above, the, above this struggle, forget it. I've done nothing. I will die and people will not live the faith when I croak. There's no point. Yeah, Father, strong words, strong words. They're not, wells, they're not strong. That's just the truth. And I think that people don't even know what the priest is. So they're like, oh, great. Father's great at this. Father's great at that. Father's great at nothing unless he makes you a saint. Okay. I mean, that's yeah. my whole point here. I can barely, I'm learning the language. I tell the girls all the time, look, I'm here to make you a saint. I'm not here just to eat chocolate. And they laugh, but I said, that's the whole point. Yeah, yeah. A, a bite of chocolate now and then is not a bad thing. But, <laughs> but, so, Father, you, you identified that the priest must die. The good shepherd must die. He must be sacrificial, sort of in an hour-by-hour um, dimension. And... Um, you know, must be attuned to the souls of his flock. You know, he wants to make them the saints. And really, sometimes I think if you look at it from inside out, um, you look at the uh, predominant fault. And all of that, the opposite of all of that is comfort. Comfort, Father. And and I think that um, if you say, well, why aren't these things happening, whether chanceries or rectories or or in, in my home as a dad of three kids or you know what? Well, because I'm comfortable. I'm comfortable. Of course, I'm not going to do any of that. And Father, I, I've often thought that it's this comfort, this dimension of comfort that really um, stunts us. And I'll I'll just read this, Father, and respond. I, I'd written this down in, in this piece. It said, spiritual fatherhood, true shepherding, demands physical, spiritual, and intellectual effort. It demands a sacrificial safeguarding of souls at all times. The anchoring of your laity to dogma, doctrine, and to Christ's heart. This is the lone action required by clergy in the world today. Society is fast becoming paganized. But priesthood has always understood and always been associated with the cross. The good shepherd understands this. So he steps into the harsh realities of today. And he does what he can each day of his life because he's vowed to take on the burden to God to do this. 
Father, I, is it that simple? Uh, yeah, but it's it's a choice, Kevin. It's a choice that everybody has to make in their own life, and it's a it's a there's just it's a dichotomy. It's the man willing to die, and it's the man who preserves his life. Okay, and the man willing to die lives, and the man who preserves his life dies. You said that the biggest cultural wound is comfort. It is, but it's more than that, Kevin. It's fear. It's fear because the evil one is whispering into the heart of priests. You can't do this. You're going to make a fool of yourself. If you speak on this, no one's going to support you. That's the problem. That's the cripple. That's what Christ faced in the garden. And that's exactly what so many are facing these days. I'm not asking you to people to go out and, and to be violent. That's foolish. But we don't even have the courage to spiritually be violent to go into this confessional or to go into adoration and speak to the truth of what's happening in people's hearts. You can say the truth in love and charity, but it still needs to be said. I would often say to folks, a doctor that doesn't tell me I have cancer because he doesn't want to upset me is no doctor. Okay. A priest that doesn't tell me that I have a significant spiritual wound is no, is, is no sacrificial man. It's just, it's really simple. The gospel is not as complicated. It's the wounds in people's hearts, the wounds in priests' hearts that have never been healed. And so thus in effect, they want to go out, but they can't go out and speak the truth because in the identity of their own priesthood, they're wounded and they don't want to open themselves up to this wound. It's very evident. So, so Father, that, that leads to this question. So if, if Father Dan Leary is, is on a stage behind an ambo and is addressing 1,000 priests and bishops that, that, are, that are good men, but they're, they're tepid, they're fearful, they're, they're flat-footed, they want to do these things, but there's this, there's this, this, there's this um, straitjacket, this fear that's preventing them from being the good shepherd they want to be. What do you tell them? Like, how do they bust out of this, this straitjacket to say, now I know how to be the shepherd. Now I can do it. What could you encourage them? Well, Kevin, they know how. They know how. You put a chapel in your rectory and you pray and you sacrifice. But, you know, people have forgotten that the soft priest, people are dying and they're not going to heaven because the priest is not courageous. And it's inconvenient. And it's all in the name of obedience, or it's all in the name of protecting what we think is important. We would have confessions every Sunday, beginning before mass, during mass, okay? I know that there are people that priests that disagreed because they wanted people focusing on the Eucharist. There was no lack of focus. It was a sacrificial division de decision that I would make. So priests, excuse me, lay people, could go to communion possibly in a state of grace when maybe they weren't. It was one-stop shopping, two sacraments. It's a decision. I've told people this, and people would come from other parishes, and they would speak to me. they say, oh, my pastor's too busy. And I'd say, well, time out. He's not that busy, okay? Everybody can make time for a sacrament. That's what's in the identity of the priest. So, Kevin, I, I think it's decisions. It's wrong-minded, wrong-hearted decisions that are rooted in comfort and fear. And then we use a teaching of the church against sacrifice. 
So let's preserve the mass so that we don't help the people get to confession when a person may be in mortal sin, okay? I don't understand that. If I went to your house and I came for dinner, Kevin, and you were a heart doctor and be like, hey, Father, come on, let's have a steak dinner. It's like the first thing you would say is, hold that steak. Let's go into my office and let me check your heart. And then we can have the dinner. I mean, it's just common sense. Why would anybody think otherwise? Is it an inconvenience? Yes. Is it a sacrifice? Yes. The bottom line is most important is that the doctor, the physical doctor would preserve my heart. I feel that in, in the church, we're just watching people die. We're literally watching them spiritually die. And our response is mostly nothing. It's self-preservation. That's what's happening. It's been happening for years, Kevin. I've spoken to this. Now you got me all fired up. It's Good Shepherd Sunday, but the bottom line. All right. So, Father, with that said, that's, those are those are very sad words, but but maybe we'll end on this because we're over time. But this is this is, I think, very important, Father. What would you encourage? You you just said it a minute ago. A priest knows. He knows who he's supposed to be. You don't need to tell them in front of a thousand priests how to be a good shepherd. What would you encourage the laity from all over the land that maybe they sense that father's hesitant or fearful or too comfortable? How can the laity say, Father, I love you. I pray for you. I love the priesthood, but there's something in you that I sense is just being held back. How can the laity effectively go up to father and sort of uh, confront him? Or, or Look, or there's, there's two levels, the laity pray and sacrifice, Kevin, <clears throat> number one. Number two, they ask for more sacrificial, uh, sacramental times. That's bottom line. Father, can you have more masses? Yeah, I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. But, you know, what else is there than, other than feeding your people the sacrament? Thirdly, Kevin, and I hate to say this, what, the, what runs the church is the financial solvency. And that's a complete lie. That's a complete lie. Okay? Until we are suffering financially, until we are really having to face the reality that, yeah, we have to get rid of our cooks and we have to get rid of these things and depend like the scripture said, we're never going to fight, Kevin. Never. I mean, I appreciate the lady's generosity, but I would always say to them, like, what are you doing? Give to programs that are producing. Give to programs and parishes that are holy, that you see the priest sacrificing. If he's not sacrificing, stop feeding it. Stop feeding mediocrity. That's just the only way. And then we don't have to talk about money. We just have to preach the gospel and people will come alive and they're going to support it. But to the people that listen, maybe you're already doing this. Maybe not. But there comes a time when we start to really say, this is what I want. Because if you don't do it, your kids are going to become non-Catholic, either non-believers or they're going to join other religions where they're speaking the truth. And that's what's happening because parents are just following along blindless, blind, mindlessly blind. I always sit here. I always go to the eight o'clock mass. Go ahead. But your kids aren't going. And so what you're doing is you're setting them up to spiritually die. And that's a disgrace. It is, Father. Uh, well, thank you for your candid words. So, guys, uh, viewers, we got into it today. If anything that Father Dan shared today 
in this one-to-one podcast, please like it and subscribe. Uh, we're going to take this podcast on to Pentecost and the gospels and the readings for the next several weeks are rich. And we're going to keep breaking things wide open like we did today on Good Shepherd Sunday because it's so stinking important today in the church. Father Dan is busting it down in Mexico for 3,300 girls, 2,000 boys in Guadalajara. There's 20,000 kids all over the world right now that Father Dan is about to enter into with COVID loosening up. Father's taking off for Brazil soon, Guatemala, Honduras. He's going all over the place and he needs your prayers. He needs your sacrifice. He needs your um, offerings because Father's going after it down there. So, Father, before you uh, lead us out with a blessing, is there anything else you want to add on? No, if, if people have lasted this long in the podcast, folks, I want to tell you something that's so simple. Every day I do a recording for Boys Town and Girls Town. It's a two-minute meditation, more or less. And they play it for the kids at 9 p.m. at night. And I give them a blessing. I love being the laziest priest in Mexico. <laughs> I simply speak into my phone. I pass it to three, four countries. And then I just sit back and watch television. And 20,000 kids get a blessing every night. It's the easiest thing. I love it. I'm, most, I'm, I'm like Padre Pio. I'm in like nine countries at 9 p.m. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen it's it. So, it's pretty cool. It's so great, man. And may the Lord bless you, folks. Protect you. Give you peace. And the Holy Spirit come upon you. Father, Son. Holy Spirit, amen. Go get them, folks. Be holy. God bless you. Hey, thanks for making it to the end of the one-to-one podcast. Father Dan's going deeper and deeper, so please hang on. Become our ambassador at World Villages. Visit worldvillages.org. We need you on our team. Enter into our story, the same story Father Dan's in, the Sisters of Mary are in, and Father Al was in. There's 20,000 kids who are begging for your support. So whether it's $10 a month giving consistently, that transforms a kid's life. You know, or sponsoring a sister. You guys have been exceptional at sponsoring sisters. Join into our team, please, and spread this message. Spread the podcast. Spread World Villages out to the world. So visit worldvillages.org. Join our team. Thank you.